Um, so right now, this semester, we are going through a series in the sermon, uh, a sermon series through the Gospel of John. So this is John's account of the life, the ministry, the teaching, and ultimately the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he is telling us all of this as a firsthand witness, saying, I was there, I was there with Jesus, and this is what I saw, this is what I experienced, this is what I heard. And so we're, we're walking through this gospel, uh, hearing John's story about, about Jesus. Um, and just a few, uh, a few weeks ago, we heard a story about John, um, John telling us about Jesus coming to this well, this Samaritan woman. And as he's talking to this woman, he, he ends up telling her, he says, I am the living water. And he makes his claim that he, he is this water of life. And today we're going to see Jesus make a similar claim about food. Now food, I don't know if you know this, food's kind of a big deal. We, we all need it. Uh, we, we make it, we talk about it, we Instagram it and post pictures of it online. We are really hungry, we fantasize about it, and we even eat it sometimes when we're done taking pictures of it. <laughs> we spend so much time and energy and money around preparing food, making food, cleaning up after food, all of these different things in order to, to eat. Um, and uh, I love this quote from the, the French philosopher Voltaire. He says, nothing would be more tiresome than eating and drinking if God had not made them a pleasure as well as a necessity. Right? We love eating. It's a, for most of us, it's, it's, it's a joy, it's a pleasure, it's something we, we get to do. But we don't really realize how much time we spend around eating until... Uh, until we don't do it. Um, so one time I, I decided to do a multi-day fast. Okay, so I was in high school, I thought I can do anything, and this sounds like a great idea. So, I just decided, so I, my plan was I'm just going to stop eating. This is not the way you go about starting a fast. But I just didn't eat for a couple days. And one of the things I found out, other than just being really hungry, was how much free time I had. Like suddenly all this time I had spent thinking about eating, making food, eating food, cleaning up, like all this, it just suddenly I had all of this time and space in my mind and in my day. Um, and this is when my mom was still making most of my meals. So we just, we spend so much time around food and not only whether, whether how, however you feel about food, whether you see it as something that's a joy or, or an inconvenience, uh, we need it, right? You can't live without food. The average person, human, could go 30 to 40 days before starvation really starts kicking in. Maybe a little bit more for the average American. Um, but, you know, if you live around here, especially for those of you, if you've ever been to UMass, you have this unlimited supply of gourmet food just at your fingertips. And ironically, this is what most of the meals that I see on people's plates, despite the sushi bar and all the other options. Um, and so, for, in one sense, Food is this common thing that we all, all humans for all time have always had to eat food, right? It's this thing we all have in common. And yet, as Americans, our relationship with food is probably quite different from that of most people in other countries or most people in other periods of history. For us, we have this abundance and qu of quantity and variety of food. Now, I, I know some people in this room may have experienced true deprivation um, and you know, that's, that's a, a reality. But for the most of us here, we've, we are living with this abundance. I mean, I can walk down to Big Y and eat better than any emperor or king in all of history. Like the access of, of tropical fruits and vegetables from all over the world, nuts, spices, 
herbs, all these things that are imported from all over the world that I just have at my fingertips, right? Like, no one in history has ever had that kind of access to food. And so for us, food is, is this thing that we just have lots of, and, and whatever type we want, and whatever we're in the mood for. Um, even at one point, uh, even for those in our society who aren't as well off, especially in this valley, at one point Isabel and I were going to the survival center, and we were getting free leftovers from Whole Foods and Trader Joe's that are better than things I would probably go buy right now. Like just amazing food that was just left over that, hey, we've got extra food, let's just give it away. Um, even right now, there's a, there is an entire shelf with uh, loads and loads of bread for anyone who needs some food. Like we just have this extra abundance of food. And so for us, brew, food is really more about enjoyment than it is about basic survival. This is our relationship with food. So now we look over at first century Palestine, right? So we've got, this is not only going back 2,000 years, where not even kings and emperors were eating this well, um, but we look at the, the basic diet of, of these people was probably just bread and water. You know, they might have had some meat every now and then on special occasions, or uh, had some herbs and spices. Um, but for the most part, a daily meal was, was bread and water. And this was so staple and central that actually in both uh, Hebrew and in Greek, the word for bread has just been generalized to mean food. Like when they talk about food, they just use the word for bread because that's what everybody eats. They eat bread. Um, so sorry for those of you who are gluten intolerant or uh, maybe paleo. Um, you'll just have to bear with us and pretend that you are, are enjoying bread with us. Um, and for people in that day, women especially, they might have spent hours grinding grain into flour. Like that was something you did by hand with a, a stone and another stone, and you just like ground the grain for hours. Um, make, mixing the flour, a lot of times they actually had to build an oven out of clay, uh, baking the bread. And this is the kind of thing you did to get a daily meal. This is just like, oh, I need food today. I'm going to spend hours making bread. Compared to most of us who maybe aren't in agriculture, maybe we don't work in a bakery, you just walk down the store and pick it up, or you grab it off the shelf, and there you go, there's a loaf of bread. And so we don't really have this, this intimate experience with the preparation of our food. Um, this is probably, when we talk about bread, this is uh, from an Israeli market, this is probably the most common type of bread that they would have had. So flat bread, it's risen a tiny bit, um, but not like the sort of loaves that we imagine um, this sort of flat bread. So as we're talking about bread, this is kind of what you can have pictured in your mind. So bread, staple to their diet, it's very important. And so what does Jesus have to say about bread? Right? This is pretty important to the people. So what does Jesus have to say about it? Well, if you, you're going to follow along with me in John 6. Uh, if you could grab Bible underneath your seat. If you want to pull out the one on your phone or you brought your own, that's great. And we're pretty much just going to be going through the chapter 6 of, of the Gospel of John and looking at a few different uh, sections throughout that. Um, if it's not in the text in front of you, I'll, I'll just read it or have it on the screen behind me. So at the beginning of this chapter, we've got Jesus. He's by the Sea of Galilee, and all these people are coming to him. They're coming to him because he's teaching them. They're coming to him because he's, he's healing people uh, of all sorts of illnesses and diseases, uh, he's casting out demons. He's doing all this uh, work for them. And so we've got this crowd of people coming to Jesus. Uh, John tells us there are about 5,000 men. 
Now, some commentators think that with women and children and everyone else there, it could have been easily maybe 20,000 people. This is a massive crowd. This is not just a small group of people. And Jesus, being the perceptive guy that he is, says, hey, these people are probably kind of hungry. I should give them some food. And so they come up with this young boy's lunch, this young man, and they've got five loaves of fish, so probably kind of similar to those little flatbread things you saw, and, uh, and two fish. And so this probably a salt, little salted fish, the kind of thing you could take with you for the day and you weren't carrying around rotting, smelly fish, right? So like little salted fish that you could snack on. So this is what Jesus has. Um, and out of this, he creates and multiplies this abundance so that everyone present eats their fill. John tells us that everyone is, is full after they've done eating. And they've eaten so much, or there is so much, that not only are they all full, but there's a bunch left over. There are 12 baskets uh, of food left over. Now, anytime you hear 12 in the Bible, you know, you've got this sort of service level, like, oh, there were 12 baskets. But usually there's something else going on as well, right? And so 12 represents the people of Israel. So you've got the 12 tribes of Israel. And whenever referred to 12, it's often referring to the, the people of God. And then you've got the 12 disciples who become the 12 apostles of the church. And so you get this, this continuity that the, the people of God. And so I think in, in some way, Jesus is saying here that, that, that I can provide an abundance for all the people of God. Like there, there's more than enough for all of my people to eat and to have enough. Um, and so... And, the, and Jesus is meeting a very real need here, right? So like we said, these are poor people. They might have had to spend all day making food. And so here Jesus is like, hey, just like here's this huge meal. Stuff yourselves. Like here's a bunch of food, right? And for some of them, this is probably the only thing they eat that day. So we're thinking like, oh, some bread and fish. That's kind of boring. This was like, wow, I don't have to make any food today. This is a big deal. But not only these people aren't just poor, hungry people. These people actually know their scripture pretty well. And so... They hear this story, and it reminds them of something. It reminds them of this story from Exodus. Now, this is the story of the Jewish people, right? So God gets this guy Moses, and he says, I want you to rescue my people out of Israel. Or, sorry, out of Egypt, my people Israel. And so they go, they're in slavery in Egypt. God brings them out. They go through the the Red Sea, which Moses parts for them. They go through, and they come out into this desert. And God is going to bring them to this promised land, but because of various disobedience and different reasons, they have to wander around the desert for 40 years. And so they're wandering around this desert, and every day for 40 years, God provides for them bread. This bread called manna. And it was, it was kind of this supernatural bread. It, it appeared, it said it was kind of like frost, and they would collect it. And so it was this bread, sort of they described as bread from heaven, that you'd collect it, and you'd bake it into loaves, and you'd eat that. And that was your food for the day. And... God said, don't store it, don't leave it over. I'm going to give you some every day, just enough. Um, And so every day, he's providing just enough for them to to feed their families for that day. Um, And we see him additionally providing some meat and water and and various things, but God is totally meeting their needs. And so here they um, they see this happening with Jesus. And it's something that they were reminded about over and over again throughout Israel's history. Like this was this was the reminder of God's faithfulness. Hey, remember when God did this? Right? So one of these is uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15. He says, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. Uh, again, in Psalm 105, 
uh, verse 40, it says, They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. And it flowed through the desert like a river. So I think for them, it was hard to miss the significance of this event. Like, hey, this guy just provided us with abundance of food and bread. Hey, that was, remember when that happened before? Remember when God provided for us over and over again every day in the desert? And how we've been reminded of that by all the prophets and all the teachers throughout our history keep reminding us over and over again, hey, remember when God did that? And so they don't miss this. We see this in their response, right? They don't just say, hey, thanks for food. They say, uh, verse 14, if you're following along with me, they say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come. Like, this is, this is a prophet. And they try to make him their king, right? So this is a pretty big response, right? This isn't just like, oh, hey, this guy makes good bread. Like, we should have him around. We should make this guy our king. Now, why, why this miracle? I had to ask myself this question. Like, Jesus has been healing people. He's been doing all sorts of cool things. Why is this the miracle where they respond, let's make this guy our king? This is the guy. Well, because they were expecting someone like Moses who was going to come and this guy, someone was going to come, he was going to look like Moses in some way and he was going to be the promised one who was going to bring the word of God. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So this is Moses speaking to the Israelites and he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And so we see that God is holy, right? So, so he can't directly interact with the people because they're terrified. God is awe-inspiring, and they can't be directly in his presence because of their sinfulness. And so God says, I'm going to send them someone who can come and be among them and speak to them my words in my name. So one is going to come with the authority of God and speak to the people of Israel. This one like Moses. And so I think they see this, and they have this revelation. They say, wow, this... Hey, hey, that's the guy. That's the one we've been waiting for. That's the one like Moses who's, who provided us manna in the wilderness. And so they come up to him to take him to be their king. Now John gives us a little interlude here. So Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. So he slips away, doesn't let them grab him. Uh, after some casual walking on water, you know, why not? Walks across the water, meets his disciples in the middle of the, of the sea. And then John tells us that immediately they were on the other shore. Now, it could just be a turn of phrase, but I like to think we've got a little teleportation going on here. Jesus hops in the boat, and boom, they're on the other side of the sea. So then, so now it's the next day, right? So it's the next day, people start looking around, and they realize, hey, that boat left, and we don't see Jesus anymore. He must be over there. So they all hop in their boats, and they take off and follow him. So they're, they're coming across the sea to find this guy, Jesus. So pick up verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi... When did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus is actually giving them an affirmation here. I think he's saying, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the one on whom the Father has set his seal. I'm the one who's come in the name of God. But you're looking for the wrong bread. Like you're not, you're, you're missing what's going on here. What's the deal with this, right? Like they're, they're picking up, like he's, he's the promised one, and yet he's, he's switching things on them. Because they want a political leader, right? They want someone who can make Israel great again. Uh, they want someone who's going to come in, who's going to take over from the Romans, someone who's going to give them these things, who's going to be a political leader like Moses was, who was leading them on earth. And they're coming to Jesus for this thing that he <coughs> isn't offering. Just like we come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons, right? Whether it's security, comfort, peace, success, provision. We come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons, and most of them are ultimately good reasons. But is he the source of those things for you, or is he just a means to an end? And so Jesus says to them, don't work for that bread, the bread that perishes. Work for this bread, this bread of eternal life. And they say, okay, sure, we'll take that bread. What do we got to do? What work must we do to get this bread? It's a lot like the, the young rich ruler in Luke 18 who says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, Jesus, you got this cool bread? What do we got to do? What do we have to do to get this bread? He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Not the answer they were expecting. They were expecting, hey, I got this new law for you. Do these things, and you're going to get an even better bread. I'm going to give you something even better. And he says, no, he says, this is the work of God. You believe in him whom he has sent. And this right here is John's whole thesis. We're going to see this again and again throughout John's gospel, that he's, he's writing all of this for this express purpose, that you would believe in the one whom God has sent, this man, Jesus. And so they want this new prophet. They pick up, hey, this is the guy, but, but they don't understand why he actually came or what he came to do. So their response is like, all right, you're this guy, prove it. Moses, he gave us manna. What are you going to do for us? Right? Now, he just fed them, right? Like he just miraculously fed thousands of people out of this small lunch and, and filled up their stomachs. But there's this thing called digestion. So they ate all this food, and then it came back out again. And this is day two. And so they're coming to him, and they're hungry again. And this is really the fundamental problem with food. Because no matter how much you eat at any one time, and no matter how good that food is, tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. And you're going to have to do it all over again, and again, and again, and again. And it's never quite satisfying. And if we didn't enjoy it so much, we'd probably think that was a really depressing cycle. So Jesus says to them, it wasn't Moses who gave you that bread. But my Father gives you true bread from heaven. So they're focused on what Moses has done. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've got something new for you. 
I've got, I'm going to give you, my father's going to give you true bread. Now, John likes this expression. He uses it a lot. He talks about Jesus being the true light, the true vine, the one true God. He's going to be worshipped by true worshipers. And what I think he's really saying here is that this bread, it gives an appearance of life, right? Like, like you eat it and you, stay, and you stay alive for another day. And you, and you eat some and you stay alive for another day. And so it looks like, oh, this bread is keeping me alive. This bread is sustaining me. And yet it's just a temporary sustenance. It's just one day at a time. And Jesus is saying that I'm going to give you, I've got this true bread that will sustain you forever. I've got something different, something new, the real bread, the bread that that, that temporary bread is just pointing to. And they're still not quite picking up on this. I mean, they get that, okay, we want true bread. That sounds better. So they say, give us this bread always. Great, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take the true bread. We don't have to worry about bad harvests anymore. Like, what if there's no rain next year? Great, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to spend all these hours making, making bread and grinding flour and doing all this stuff. Like, sure, we'll take it. Just like the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4 who says, Sir, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not thirst or have to come to the well anymore. Right? Like, she's saying, I, I won't have to go do all this work anymore if you give me this water. I'll never be thirsty. That sounds great. And she's still worrying and thinking about her physical needs, which are real needs. But she's missing the bigger point. And so here, Jesus flips everything on them. He says that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so they were talking about, he had just fed them real bread the day before. They were talking about manna. They were talking about, for them, they're still thinking about some kind of physical substance bread that, that Jesus is going to give them. And then he says, no, 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 I am the bread. Me. I am the real bread. And then he makes this invitation. He says, come, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And God has made this invitation before. This is not the first time they've heard this sort of invitation. Proverbs 9, uh, verse 5, it says, Wisdom is calling out in the streets. She says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. So saying, Come, eat words of wisdom, and you will live. And we have Isaiah 55 uh, verses 1 through 3, says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. So initially in that, it sounds like this invitation, like, come and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you wine and milk and all these good things. And you're thinking about, maybe he's talking about this physical sustenance. And then you get to the end and you get down to verse three. And he says, listen, eat, delight, incline, come and hear. And you see that all those words are really saying the same thing. They're all saying, come and listen. Delight yourselves in this rich food. What is this food that's being offered? The words of life. 
Come and hear my words and live. And so this rich food, this invitation is to come and eat this word of God. Jesus himself draws attention to this uh, when he's in the desert. We see this in Matthew chapter 4. He quotes, uh, he's out in the desert. He's essentially reenacting Israel's exodus in the desert. He's out in the desert for 40 days and he's being tempted by all these things. And, and Satan comes to him and says, hey, turn this stone into bread. Eat, satisfy your, your hunger, right? He's physically hungry. He says, come and satisfy your hunger. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is what the passage of Deuteronomy chapter 8 says. It says, And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we see in that, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he's saying the whole reason that God gave you manna every day was to show you that that bread was not enough. The reason he gave you manna every day, day after day after day, was to show you that this will not sustain you, but my words will sustain you. And so he's pointing here to this, this daily bread, this total spiritual dependency on the word of God in the same way that we are totally dependent on food and water every day to stay alive. And so we look at what John is saying here about Jesus. We go back to chapter 1, and who does he say that the word of God is? That Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And so listen to his words here. Verse 47 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 54, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And so again, Jesus is saying, that manna, that manna was just pointing to me. That daily bread was just pointing to me, that I am the real bread of life, that, that the fathers who ate that bread, cool, that was miraculous. God provided them for bre bread every day. They died. Like, they got to the end of that 40 years and they died. But I'm going to give you a bread that will sustain you forever. You will never hunger again. And that bread is his flesh. Now, they're still thinking, what must we do, right? Like, what work must we do? This is still the thought that's in the back of their minds. 
And so Jesus gets this point. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're thinking, what the heck? Like, what is this guy talking about? I mean, I'm pretty sure cannibalism isn't kosher. And the Jews were not supposed to drink blood because the life of the animal was in the blood. And so they're thinking, eating flesh, like, totally not supposed to do that. Drinking blood, like, we're not supposed to do that. What is this guy talking about? Um, and I think historically in the church, a lot of Christians have actually come to this passage with the same question of what work must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get this true life? And so a lot of people have actually read this historically to, to be referring to communion. That Jesus is saying, oh, if you, if you eat this bread and you drink this, this wine, then, then you'll have real life. And so, so the thing we need to do to get eternal life is eat the cracker and drink the cup. That's, that's the thing that's going to give us eternal life. Okay, we got to do that. And we got to do it all the time. Because if we don't do that, we won't have eternal life. But Jesus already told us what the work was we had to do to gain eternal life. He said, I'm the bread. And you know how you eat that bread? You believe. You believe on the one whom God has sent. And he says this, if we didn't pick this up, down, go down to uh, verse 63, he draws again, like, I'm not talking about bread here. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so Jesus, again, draws attention that all of that bread stuff, that's all about me and my words. It's all pointing to me. And so it was never about physical bread. It was never about the water. It was never about the, the wine that Jesus was providing. But the work that we must do is to believe in Jesus because he who is going to be raised up, as we, John talked about um, back earlier when we were reading, uh, if you've been here previously, John, John, Jesus says, I'm going to be raised up like the serpent in the wilderness so that whoever looks on me will live. So just like he says, whoever looks on the Son of Man he too will be raised up with Jesus Christ. That's what we do to be saved. We look upon, we believe and put our faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Now, like many of us probably have at some point, and maybe some of you in this room right now, to take offense to this. We're looking for the simple answer. Like, what do I have to do uh, just give me, give me something I can do, Jesus. Like, be a good person, don't cheat on your taxes, be nice to people, show up to work on time. Like, give me something simple that I can, I can, I can manage that, right? Like, they're looking for something that they, can, that they can do in their own self-sufficiency. And Jesus says, no. No, that's not the answer. You tried that already. Moses gave you the law. Moses gave you bread. That didn't sustain you. You died. Your fathers died. But in me, you'll have real life. So he calls them instead to this radical dependency. He says, I am true food. I am true drink for your souls. Just like every day, we need to come back to, to eat again and to drink again. Jesus is like, no, you need me always. I'm the only thing that's going to sustain you. And so many walk away from him. John tells us that if they hear this, and they're like, whoa, we're out. We like the free food. We like the, the healing stuff. We thought maybe this guy was going to be this cool prophet who was going to come and, and restore Israel uh, as this great earthly nation. But 
we're not into this whole, you know, believe in this guy thing and eating his flesh. We don't, we don't know what he's talking about. We're out. Because they want these moralistic rules that they can keep, that they can do to retain self-sufficiency. And so Jesus turns to Peter and his 12 disciples. He says, oh. he says okay, they all left. What about you guys? Are you going to leave too? And Peter says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter, Peter's getting it, right? Like he's got some, definitely some bumbling idiot moments or he sticks his foot in his mouth. But this is one of those moments where P- Peter gets it. He's like, Jesus, I, I don't fully understand everything you just said. Like he, he hasn't picked up on the whole Jesus is going to die thing, right? His flesh and his blood are going to be be poured out and broken for us. Like, he's not, he's not making that connection yet. And so he's probably thinking, I don't, I don't really get all of this, but you have the words of life. Like, I, Jesus, I, I need you. I don't have all the answers, but, but I know that you're, you're the one that I need. And so I believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so Jesus, Peter's like, I, I don't get it all, but I, I'm all in. Like, who else can we go to? Who else has words of life like you, Jesus? I think this right here is is the response that Jesus is calling all of us to. This response of faith that Peter has here to believe and come to know that he is the Holy One of God. And so, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus... You haven't taken that, that true bread. You haven't put your hope and your faith in him and believed in him. I want to tell you this morning that, that no other bread is going to satisfy. That nothing else is ever going to meet the deep needs of your soul. But you'll have to come back to it again and again and again, and you'll always be hungry. But if you believe in Jesus Christ that his flesh broken for you on the cross, if you put your hope and your faith in that, then you will have true bread and you'll never hunger or thirst again. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, this is weird, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I believe all this or what I think about all this, I should encourage you to come to Jesus with that same faith, that childlike faith and desperation that Peter has. Say, you know what? You don't need all the answers. You don't have to have it all quite figured out to come to Jesus. But just to say, you know, I, you have the words of life. Like, you're, you're the one from God. And I, I don't know everything, but I know I need you. And, and that's where I'm at right now. And I encourage you this morning to, to come to that place and say, Jesus, I, I need you. You are the only thing that can satisfy me. You are the only hope that I have. And if you are here this morning and you have experienced that, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you believed in the one whom God has sent, then I encourage you that like food, like drink that we need every day to come back to that source, yes, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Like he, is, he has saved you and rescued you and, and that is a secure thing, but Every day we need to come back because he has the words of life. 
We need to come to his feet and listen to him. This idea of, of meditating literally means to chew on the word of God, to, to, to take it in and to, to chew on it and digest it and, and take it into us and let it transform us. And so if we want to really grow and be transformed and change, we need to come back day after day to listen and delight in rich food, which is his word. And so if you're here this morning and you have taken that step, I just encourage you to, to not to neglect that, but just to come with that same faith, like, Jesus, I, I need you. You're the only thing I have. You're all I've got. And let him sustain you day after day after day. Now, I said in one sense that this passage is not about communion, that Jesus is not saying, eat this bread, drink this wine, and you'll be saved, right? That, that the work we must do is to believe. And yet, at the same time, this passage is very clearly pointing forward to communion. We see that, that just a little later, um, Jesus is, is, is coming to, to Jerusalem, and, and they're celebrating the Passover Right? And, and all these things are pointing to him being this better Moses, him being this new Moses. And so here he is with his disciples celebrating the Passover that, that Moses has instituted. And he takes the bread that, that they're going to eat and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Just as he fed them bread by the Sea of Galilee, so this bread is the true bread is my body given for you. And he takes, same way he takes the wine, the cup, and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says, because when you believe, when you put your faith in me, then you have this true bread of eternal life. And so every time we come to eat this bread, we, re we remember and realize and are drawn back to that place when we first received the bread of life. Not physical bread that won't sustain us, physical bread that will just leave you hungry again, but the true bread of life, Jesus Christ. And so the reason that we do this every week, over and over and over again, is because like real food and drink, like we need reminding of that. We need to be reminded that, yeah, that's my only hope. That's my only sustenance. The only thing that can really satisfy and sustain me is Jesus Christ. And so every week we come back to this table to remind it that like food and drink, we desperately need Jesus. And so for those of you here this morning who uh, maybe this is, is new to you and you haven't stepped into that place where you put your hope and your faith and your belief into the person of Jesus and to his death on the cross and his resurrection. Maybe you're still eating some other bread that doesn't satisfy you. I encourage you right now to stay uh, at your seats and to think about this, pray about it. Maybe ask Jesus right now, like, I, I don't know, I need, I, need, I need you. I need real bread. And what I'm eating right now is not filling me up. And I'm just hungry. And so I ask you to right now to remain in your seats and think through this and pray through this. And, and for those of you who have tasted and seen how good he is, I encourage you to come up and to come and receive. Just like the people 
there by the Sea of Galilee were, were given this bread. Come with open hands, remembering the way that you received the gift of grace when you first came to Jesus, that it was this, this free gift that God has offered and given to you. And so come with open hands this morning, receive the bread, receive the cup as a reminder of the true bread, your Savior. And so I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to pray and invite uh, people to come up and take it. And if you're on this side, you're just going to come up here, line up here, come take the bread, receive the bread, take the cup, and come back around. Same thing on this side. Uh, And during this time, there'll be people at the back who would love to pray for you and pray with you uh, during the next song. So will you join me in prayer? Lord, you are true bread. God, we chase after so many things in this life that ultimately just leave us so hungry and unsatisfied day after day, and yet you are the bread of eternal life. Lord, that in you, Lord, our deepest needs of our soul are met. God, in you we have true life. Lord, dependency on you, God, we just come to you this morning just recognizing how how needy we are, God, that we need you to, to feed us, to give us life, God, because we have nothing on our own. So we just come with open hands this morning to receive from you. Pray that you would be the thing that, that truly nourishes our souls, God. Um, pray that you would be just honored and glorified this morning as we worship you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.